over the last couple of weeks, we have been talking about choices that we make, and we say that we need to choose, and we need to choose God. For many of us, we have been, some of us grew up in religion, some of us grew up in, in different types of faith, and we had to come to a place, come to a decision as to choosing who we're going to serve. In um, Joshua, let's look back at our main text, right? Joshua chapter 24, right? it's the last chapter in the book of Joshua. And we're looking from at verse 14 to 18. When you have it, say amen. If you don't have it, say hold up. Amen. Good. Hold up. Who's that hold up? Right, we got to hold up. All right, so Joshua chapter, chapter 24 from verse 14. Hallelujah. 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 Good. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." And the people answered and said, God forbid that we shall, should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein we went and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. For he is our God. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise. We thank you for the privilege to come in your presence and to inquire at your word. We pray this morning that you will give revelation, you will give truth. You will help us to understand what you are saying to us as a people. That we will be able to make the right choices, Lord Heavenly Father, as it pertains to whom we serve. And Father, today we pray that your Holy Spirit will give guidance and direction. You will lead us, dear God Heavenly Father, in the path that you have set before us. And that we will understand, dear God Heavenly Father, what you are saying and what you want to reveal to us as a people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. God is a good God, isn't he? And what we have been looking at is that aspect of choosing. And we said that serving God is a personal choice. It's a choice that we as individuals have to make if we are to serve God. It's not something that somebody else can make for you. It's not a choice that your parents can make for you. While I have a responsibility to grow up my children in the way of the Lord, they have a responsibility to choose to go that way when they get older. Amen? So that it's something that we have to do. It's a choice that we have to make. In life, we have a lot of different choices that we make. This morning, you got up and you made a choice to come to church. You made a choice which church to go to. You made a choice what to put on to go to church. You made a choice what to eat or if to eat breakfast before you come. You made a choice. We have different choices that we make. And one of the choices we make is whom do we serve? And this morning as we go into our study, we want to get into finding out whom do we not serve. Because over the last couple of weeks, we have been establishing that we ought to serve God. Amen? Yes. 
and we said that it's important for us to serve God and we broke it down. We looked at different aspects of serving God. We said that serving God is also serving people, right? Because as we love God, we got to serve the people of God and it's important for us to communicate this way. We also looked at leadership last week and how we as leaders ought to serve in the kingdom of God. And as kingdom people, as children of God, there's a way in which we serve as leaders that's different from how the world serves, amen, or what the world does. But when we look at this text, we see first of all, in verse 14, he says, Now therefore, fear ye the Lord and serve whom? Serve him. Who's the him? The Lord, right? And he said, serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away what? The other gods. Put away the other gods, the, put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And when we started the study, we said that there are two th aspects of these idol gods that we tend to serve from time to time. There are some of us who would have had different religion that we would have been a part of. Like I told you, well, many of you all know my story. I grew up as a Catholic. My stepfather was a Baptist. My father was a Muslim. Half my family are Jehovah's Witnesses. And I grew up in a Hindu community. So that when I was growing up, I learned the ways of Roman Catholicism. When I got a little older, I started to read and study and explore different other religions that were, were exposed to me. And when you as an individual, as you were growing up, many persons had this concept in life. I was born in this religion and I go dead in this religion. That's the God of our fathers. That's the God that we knew. That's the religious life that we knew that we were brought into or we were brought up in. And what I've learned, brothers and sisters, is that there are times where we have to choose something that may be different from the traditions of our fathers. There are times when we have gotten the revelation of who God truly is, and that causes us to turn away from that which we have always known. Many persons here, in fact, almost everyone here, when you came to know the Lord, it was you had to change your faith. You had to move from where you were before to what you are experiencing now. Correct? For some of you, you were in idol worship. Some people had their murtis and they had their own personal temple at home. And when you get up, you will do whatever devotions you would have had to those gods. For some of us, it probably wasn't any mercy or anything like that. But there were different things that we would have worshipped as God. And he says, choose ye this day whom you will serve. And he put it to them this way. Hear this. Now therefore fear ye the Lord and serve him. And put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood. And the first thing that Joshua was telling the people to do was put away the other gods. Put away those gods that your father served on the other side of the flood. And we looked at that when we first started the series, and it was referencing that before that great catastrophic flood that, that flooded the entire world there, those people who were the Hebrew people, before they actually became what God had called them to be, they were idol worshippers. Noah's family, before they act, he actually got called by God, they used to worship idols. And what he's saying is that we've got to put away the other gods. 
Abraham's family were idol worshippers. That, that's what, uh, that's what they, were, they knew. That's what they were part of. Whatever other gods we used to serve, we got to put it away. There are some times where people come to know the Lord. They come to this experience of Jesus Christ, but still they hold on to their traditions. They still hold on to their faith. They still hold on to the other gods that they may have been um, accustomed to. Even though they have come to that experience or they have come to that place of hearing about Jesus Christ. There are some people who still hold on to other gods. There are some people who go and get involved in necromancy and they search out other gods. They search out the, the Obiaman. <laughs> and in Trinidad, there are very distinct places that people go to do necromancy. And you see them in the Orisha and the Baptist and the Kali. And, and, and people still seek these things even though they go to church. That's an ouch moment. Of course, nobody like that here this morning, huh? At least we would like to think not. But if perchance you have stepped in, if perchance you are one who have done those things, just understand that God can't forgive you. And we have to make that choice to put away. You must make that choice to put away the other gods. Tell your neighbor, we're putting away the other gods. So when we are looking at who do we not serve, the first thing that we are looking to do is that we must understand we are not to serve the other gods. We are not to serve those gods that we were exposed to before. We ought not to serve them. We've got to put away the other gods. Tell your neighbor, put away the other gods. We don't want these other gods, amen? We, re we need to reject them. We need to renounce them. And there are some persons who have not yet renounced the other gods. Even though you are in church, even though you have been serving God, you have not yet renounced them. You have not yet put them behind you. You have not yet said, okay, well, I am no longer going to learn, lean on those things. Sometimes people say, save things, save, save the little uh, mercy for a little backup. They say, just in case God didn't answer my prayer, I'm going to go to this if it doesn't work. <laughs> you have no backup when you're serving God. Amen? It's God is either you give him your all or none at all. Amen? It has nothing about reserve and say, okay, well, you know, I'm a Christian and many times I go and I talk with people and they have picture with Jesus, they have picture with Hanuman, they have picture with Lachmi, they have picture with all kinds of different things. And what Jesus doing in the midst of all them things? You understand? He said, when you choose him, you put away the other things. He's not just a way. He is the way. He's not just a truth. He is the truth. He's not just a life. He is the life. And we have to make choices as to whom we're going to serve. And this thing about having, you know, this one and that one. And, and you know, there are some people who tell me that, you know, um, all religions lead to the same God. Let me submit to you, all religions don't lead to the same God. In fact, you know what? True Christianity is not a religion. It's a way of life. And all the other religions are going to lead to some other God, but not the God of heaven. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our choice must be to choose. And we must choose him. It's not about just saying, okay, well, I just go to church. Going to church is one thing. You've got to choose to live for Christ. And when he talks about serve him, he says serve him in sincerity and truth. So we're looking at what do you not serve? So you're not serving the other gods. You don't want to serve Satan either. <laughs> Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 from verse 5. Do any of it say amen? 
This is the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness. He was getting ready to actually enter into the fullness of his ministry here on earth. And he went and he was fasting for 40 days. And the word of God declares that the spirit of God led him into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And here he was being tempted. And in the midst of the temptation, Satan said something that I wanted to extract so that we can look at it and see and understand something that the enemy does. Read it for me from verse 5, please. And the devil, showed him what? All the kingdoms of the, what did he show him? All the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, what did the devil said? All this power, all this what? So he showed him the, the, the kingdoms of the world and he's saying to him, I will give you all this what? Power. I will give unto you all this power. Go ahead. And the glory of them. So I'll give you the power and I'll give you the glory. <laughs> Why? For that is delivered unto me and to whomsoever I will give it. So here, uh, Jesus is being told by the devil. The devil had the audacity to offer Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, he has the audacity to offer Jesus the kingdoms of this world. When Jesus has a greater kingdom than the kingdoms of this world. So he's given him now this option. He says, you can get the kingdoms of this world. You can get the power of the kingdoms of this world. You can get the glory of this world if you're going to do what? What's that? If thou will, worship me, all shall be thine. And he's saying here that if you will only worship me, all this power, all this glory, all this kingdom that I am showing you is going to be yours. If you will worship me. Before that he says, I have the authority to give it to whomever I would. And what we have seen in our world today and in our society, there are men and women who are going after the glory and the power of the kingdoms of this world. They want to rule the world. They want to rule their sphere. Whichever sphere they are in, whichever level of influence that they may have, they want to take charge. So we are seeing them in the entertainment industry. We are seeing them into, um, into um, different types of, of, of politics and, and different things. And you are seeing them taking charge in their, in their spheres. But how do they do it? Many of them have bowed down to worship the devil in order to get their influence. We have heard about secret societies. Well, the secret societies no longer become secret anymore. They have become a little more exposed. Nowadays, you realize that it's being accepted so that you have the, the entertainers, you have the, the movie stars and the, and the, and the musicians, and they, and they are now pu pushing these things. And you hear about Illuminati, and you hear about Freemasonry, and one you don't hear much about is Rosicrucian movement. And you see these things as the being prominent in our world world today and these things are not of God these things are people who give themselves now over to the enemy to be part of it and on the surface of it it's not seen as something that is bad on the surface of it it's just seen as some type of normal fraternity that you can come and be a part of but the depths of it 
is that it's not of God. It's hardly a nation in this world that is led by a political leader who is not given over to one type of secret society or the other. Almost everybody in the political affairs are involved, and they get involved in it because of the fact that they want to receive the power that is promised from it. One of the things that we have to make sure, brothers and sisters, in our lives, that we don't give ourselves over to the enemy. And there are different ways that he comes very subtly to come into our lives. And he offers us power. He offers us influence. He's offering us the glories of this world. For some people, it may be in athletics. Some people, it may be in politics. Some people, it may be in medicine. Some people, it may be in law. Some people, it may be in teaching. Some people, it may be in some type of career, politics, or some type of career. He may offer you the glories of the kingdoms of this world. But the price to pay, you got to serve me. you got to worship me. The word worship here actually means to bow down before. It's a place of submission. And what we are understanding, brothers and sisters, is that when we come in submission to the enemy, he can give us our heart's desire. But it's at a price. And the price is our soul salvation. As I said a couple of weeks ago, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What would it profit you if you get everything that you desire in life? And then lose your soul. When we stand before God, you could have been going to church for donkey years, according to the old people. And then you die and you approach the throne of God. And he says, I never knew you. Uh, what's your name again? What's, what's, what's your name? Going through the book of life. What, where, where? I don't know. What, what, what's your name? I don't know you. He says, in that day, many will come. And say, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not done wonder many wonderful works in your name? And he will say unto you, depart from me. I never knew you, he that worketh iniquity. And that's an indictment. Guess what? On the church. Because it's the leaders of the church that, that prophesy, that cast out devils, that do many wonderful works. I tell people that when we were starting this ministry, right, about six years ago, you know, I, I was spending a lot of time in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, and the Lord impressed upon me. I know that there are different aspects of ministry, and there are three basic arms that the modern ministries are normally built on. And you will see either it's a prophetic ministry, a deliverance ministry, or a signs and wonders ministry. And what God deposited within my heart is that I don't want for you to be expressing just those things. You're going to do signs and wonders. You're going to do deliverance. You're going to do healing. You're going to do those things, but that's not what I want to proclaim. I want my word to be proclaimed. Amen. I want people to see the word, not being drawn to these things because there are many who are going to just be drawn to these things and they're going to bust hell wide open still. We have seen within our societies today, brothers and sisters, that even within the church setting, even within the church realm, there are people who have given themselves over to evil spirits and have submitted themselves under the authority of the enemy. One of the things that I have recognized over the years, brothers and sisters, is that even within churches, there's a spirit of divination at work. It's at work. 
so now you can hear things that sound right. In the book of Acts, this young lady came uh, behind uh, Paul and there and said, these men are servants of the living God who show us the way of salvation. She was walking behind them everywhere they go and giving endorsement to them. Saying something that was not a lie. They were indeed servants of the living God. They were indeed showing them the way of salvation. But the spirit behind her utterance was what is called the spirit of divination, a python spirit. And the focus of it was deception, was self-centeredness, and was for personal gain. And what we have seen, brothers and sisters, even today in our churches, this is what is taking place. I wonder if you get what I'm saying. So that we are still a people who are still moved with the itching of our ears to want to hear this and to hear that and to hear the other. And we are running to and fro from every, according to the old people, to every pillar and post to hear somebody say something about me and somebody to call my name. You don't know your own name? And we want... Let me tell you something. I am not discrediting prophecy. You know, the word of God says despise not prophecy. But we have to open our eyes and recognize that there is a thin line between prophecy and divination. You understand what I'm saying to us? And you see people, when you turn on the, the internet, it's replete with a whole set of crap that is going on under the names of, of, of Christianity. And we have to be very careful. A deception. You know what is Deception. Deception is not an open lie. Deception is something that looks true, but it's a lie. It looks like a duck. It quacks like a duck. It smells like a duck. But guess what? It ain't no duck. <laughs> so we have to be very, very careful what we hold on to. Let the Spirit of God give to us a spirit of discernment. That we can open our eyes and see. You see, many times you hear in the word, let him that have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Because if we don't hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying, we're going to listen to what the Spirit of the enemy is saying. And we're going to give ourselves over to it. And there are persons who will give themselves over to it to have influence within the church. There's something that I, I, last day I spoke about it, charismatic witchcraft. You know what's charismatic witchcraft? When an individual uses their level of influence to control your life. And it's alive within the churches. There's something that has crept into the church and I'm exposing these things because we have to know what not to serve. There's something that has crept into the church that is called the power of attraction. Have you ever heard about that? And you are cursed. That's a demonic spirit. No matter who says it and where it comes from, when you look at the, the sources of the power of attraction, it has nothing to do with God. It's a new age philosophy and it's, de it's designed to bring people into uh, satanic worship. And it's presented something else. You can call things into your life. Call it into your life. So it's a power of attraction. And it sounds good because we want to hear these type of things. But it's demonic. It's new age movement. So we have to understand what not to serve. Because sometimes we will think that we are serving God. And doing a lot of things for God. But then you realize that it has nothing to do with God at all. And this is why we need to know what not to serve. While we want to serve God, we have to do some process of elimination. 
get the false out, then we can get the real to be seen. So let our heart be positioned correctly. And all these things that you see, and it sounds very nice, we have to start getting these things out. Anybody tell you about the, the power of attraction and the, the laws of attraction and, and commanding these things to come unto you? That's not of God. It's spiritism. Don't serve it. Amen? So he says, don't serve other gods. Don't serve the devil. Don't serve Satan. He's going to give you all these things. He's giving you the power. So you can call things into being and you can enter into the spiritual realm and you can, you can create your day. You can create your environment. You can, God already did these things. Come on. So, other gods, first of all, we don't serve other gods. Secondly, we don't serve Satan. Thirdly, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. We're still in Luke chapter 16, verse 13. When you have it, say amen. Right there, you shouldn't take too long to get it. We were in Luke just now. Verse 13 says what? No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You can serve God and mammon. Oh, say again. What did he say? You cannot serve God and Wow. So it's not that he's saying you could do this. So it is an impossibility. When you see the word cannot, it means cannot. <laughs> he says he cannot serve God and mammon. What is mammon? Money is, mammon is money. It's wealth. It's prosperity. It's financial. And more so, it's the spirit behind wealth. Do you know that money is not evil? Do you know that? Yes. Money is not evil. But if you submit to it, and if you serve it, you now give it an authority over your life that creates an evil act. It's just like this tree. Is this, is this plant here evil? It looks nice. Of all that it is, it's not evil. It may be fake, but it's not evil. So now if I decide that I'm coming to bow before this, even though this is a neutral plant, it becomes evil. Because I am now submitting myself to this authority. I am giving this authority over my life to control me. So this now becomes evil. Not that the plant in itself is evil. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. In a similar way, money in itself is not evil. But what I do with it is evil. And this is why he says, the love of money is the root of all evil. He never said that money is evil. In fact, he says money answers all things. But when we love money, when our affection is on money, when all we can think about is money, when all our desire is to serve money, it becomes evil. Because we now shift the authority in our life from God to mammon. And he says you cannot serve two masters. So if money is your master, then God is not your master. And if God is your master, then money is not your master. You can't serve two masters. And look what he says. You're going to either love one and hate the other. How many of you love money here? Let me see your hands. Don't put up your hand. <laughs> he says you're going to either love one and hate the other. Or else 
You know, some people say, I don't have money. But he didn't only address it from the perspective of love. He looks at the perspective of what do you hold to? What do you regard most? He says you're going to either hold to one or despise the other. And there are some people, brothers and sisters, who within their heart, they may say, I don't love money, but they hold to it in su with such a high regard that they despise God as a result. So the things of God, I'm really not studying that because today, I got to make money. Money, money, money. Money. And everything is about money. Every thought is about money. Everything in their heart is about money. I tell people we need to disconnect from money and you're going to see more money coming your way. You understand what I'm saying? Because if you're only running after money, you're working so hard, then what has to happen? You see, we have to reach to a place, brothers and sisters, in our life where we don't only work for money, but we got to put money to work. I am, the, I, am the, I am the boss here. Money is not my boss. Jesus is my boss. And if Jesus is my boss, then every other thing that God has given me has brought me, has to come under dominion of me. The things must be under our dominion, not we under the dominion of things. So then what does it mean to serve mammon? Look at the next verse. He says here, verse 13 says, no man... No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were what? Covetous, heard all these things and derided him. They mocked him. Why? Why did they mock him? Because they were covetous. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You got it? From verse 3. Let's take it at least from verse 3. Right? If any man teach otherwise and consent not the wholesome to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to godliness. So if there's any man who does this, right? Who teach otherwise, who consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the doctrine which is according to what? Godliness. That man is what? Proud, knowing nothing, but dotting about questions and strifes of words, whereof commit envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is what? Godliness. From such withdraw thyself. So what he's saying is that from such people, you've got to withdraw yourself. And one of the characteristics of such people is that they suppose that gain means godliness. They suppose that when you receive things, when you get increased, that means you're more godly. And what he's saying is that when you are hearing these things, when you are seeing people proposing this, that gain is godliness, withdraw yourself. <laughs> That's an ouch moment, isn't it? But look what he just said. But godliness with what? He says, godliness with contentment is great gain. You see, the problem that we have with a lot of people 
is that we are not contented. We are covetous. We are not contented. And sometimes what we are doing, brothers and sisters, our desire is to get so much more things and accumulate so much more things that we cannot now be satisfied with what we already have. So yes, we have money in the bank, but that's not enough. And of course, you should aspire to have great savings and whatever. But guess what? We ought to be content. You've got to reach to a place of satisfaction, knowing that I am in Christ Jesus and God is going to supply my needs. I reach to a place in our lives, and, and my wife is here as a witness, I really don't study things. If I have, I have. If I don't have, I don't have. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. Why must I be frustrated if I don't have something? I'm not going to be frustrated. If I get up in the morning, God forbid, and I don't have tea to make, I, I don't have some bread to eat, I really like bread. <laughs> yeah. Then that might be a day I got to fast. You understand? Let me tell you something. Each one of us, I'm not saying that we got to live a life of poverty. I don't believe that. But what we need to do in order to get out of that, we need to first of all reach to a place of contentment. Amen. Poverty has nothing to do with how much you have or how much you don't have. It's a frame of mind that says, whatsoever I have is not enough. That's the mentality. There are some people who have millions of dollars and they're still poor. And then there are some people who don't even have $5,000 and they're wealthy. Because they can do so much with what they have. And deep down within, there's a peace. You see that peace that you can have on the inside of you, brothers and sisters? That's an awesome thing. It's priceless. Because you could have all this money, and if you don't have peace, you're going to go to your grave with some sort of sickness or disease. And I, let me tell you something. We got to get to a place of contentment. One of the reasons why a lot of people cannot move ahead in life is because they cannot accept what they already have. That's why they can't move ahead. Because what they have is not enough to build with. You didn't get that. What you have. You see, last week we looked at the parable with the talents. You all remember that from last week? A man got five talents, another got two talents, and another got one. The one who had five talents, what did he do with it? He went traded with it and got five more. The one that had two talents traded with it and got two more. The one that had one talent went and buried it. And when the boss came back, he said, Boss, I know that you are a hard man, that you reap it where you sow not and you gather where you have not stored. So I was afraid and I hid the talent. Here, is what you gave me. Here's your talent. Here's your money. The word declares that the boss took the one talent from the man who only had one and gave it to the man with ten. And the commentary after was this. He that hath not even that which he has will be taken away. He that has more shall be given to him. Understand this principle, brothers and sisters. If you reach to a place in your life 
where mentally you never have, you will never have. You understand? Even if you have one, you must be able to understand I have something. Because one could multiply and increase. No matter how much you multiply zero by, you still get zero. So if in your mentality you have nothing, I can give you 20 million dollars or whatever, it's going to still end up with nothing. Nothing by whatever. Nothing by infinity is still nothing. So the mentality has to do, has to be, I need to see what I do have rather than what I don't have. Too many people look at what they don't have and focus on what you don't have rather than look at what you do have. The prophet Elijah went to a woman. The husband died and left debts. He was a good man, but he wasn't wise. When he died, all he left was debts. <laughs> he was a servant of God. <laughs> but when he died, all he left was debts. How many of you all married? Let me see your hands. Put up your hands, married men. Make sure you get some insurance. So when you die, you wouldn't only leave debts. <laughs> Amen? You can leave some money, not debts. And this woman went... The, debt, the creditors came to take the sons to make them slaves to pay off the debt. There's a man who was serving the prophet. Eh? And when he died, the creditors, credit checks, came for his son because he didn't have nothing to give. Credit checks come for the son to put them to work to pay off debts. A wonderful man of God. We can say a man of God. Because that's what he was. He was a man of God. Serving the Lord. And, but what he left could not have taken care of his family. In fact, what it did, it brought his family in bondage. Wow. You want to understand that? So when the woman came, she came to the servant and she said, Man of God. You know that my husband is a good man. He served you well. He served you faithfully. But now the creditors are coming and they want to take my son. What do I do? The first thing the prophet asks the woman is, what do you have in your house? She said, I have nothing. He said, what? What do you have? Then she checked and she said, I have a little bit of oil. Little is much when God is in it. You see, if it is, that she maintained the mentality that she had nothing. You see, what she had could not have taken care of all her needs. It could not have paid the debt, but it was a start. And all she needed to know was, I have something to work with. Don't ever come to the mentality, brothers and sisters, that you have nothing to work with. Look in your house. You've got to have something in your house. He said, what you got in your house? He said, all I have. Is a I have nothing except for a little bit of oil. He said, that is good. Hear what you're going to do. You're going by your neighbors and borrow. Do what? Borrow. Of course, he can't come and tell a Trinidadian woman that. You know why? Pastor, me, go and borrow. Yeah, make me out of We too shame to borrow. You know, we're going to go by the credit union and borrow for Christmas. To eat. 
to buy ham and lamb and jam. I always say this. If you have to borrow, you must never borrow for consumption. You ain't borrowing no money to go and sit down and eat and have people come in your home and eat and when they finish it and they're gone. That's what you're borrowing money for? Anytime you borrow must be for breakthroughs. It must be for business, for increase. This woman was told to go and borrow. And what she had to go and borrow was containers. The, the King James said, go and borrow vessels. And what the Lord said to her, he said, go and borrow. And he said, don't borrow a few, borrow plenty. And when you come in your house, shut the door. You know why to shut your door? You and your son, go inside there and start pouring out oil. You know why to shut your door? It has some people too fast. They're too fast and out of place. Not your business. I borrow a thing from you and you want to come and mind my business? What I borrowed for? No, 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 no. I come in, you're going to see what I borrowed for just now. You understand what I'm saying? And the word of God says that the little bit of oil that she had, she started to pour it out. And the vessels that she had, the containers, they started. She got her oil boom in her living room. You understand? She started to pour. And as she poured, the containers started to be full. Wow, miracle oil. That is miracle oil. Not the miracle oil they're telling on TV. <laughs> they not no miracle oil. This is the miracle oil. That it started to pour out. And as many vessels as she had, every one was full. The Bible declares that when there was no vessel more, the oil stayed. That was it. If she had more vessels, you know what would have happened? It would have continued on. That is why the prophet said, don't borrow a few. If she had just gone and said, oh gosh, I could just ask two, three people, yes? And let me just get it. And uh, that wouldn't have said. What happened after that, brothers and sisters, is that she sold the oil and she was able to pay off her debt and live on the rest. I don't know if you get what I'm saying. She didn't borrow to go and sit down and eat. She borrowed to pay off her debt, and she was able to survive after that. I wonder if you get what I'm saying to us. Amen. So she had to now see that I have something. When I had nothing, the debtors were coming for my son. When I saw that I had something, nothing changed, just her perception. Nothing changed. Just how she was able now to see what she have rather than what she don't have. That's all that changed. And as a result of that, a miracle took place in her life and in her finances. She wasn't submitted to money. She wasn't submitted to things. She was submitted to the word of the prophet. And that's what changed her life. The word of God spoken through the man of God, changed her life. That's what she was submitted to. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. You're going to love one and hate the other or hold to one and despise the other. If she had despised the prophet, she would have never gotten that breakthrough. If she had despised the word of God, she would have never gotten that breakthrough. What did she do? She submitted to God's word. And she got what it is she wanted. Amen? Amen? You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. We've got to be contented. We must see what God is telling us. Amen?
So we saw that we ought not to serve other gods. We ought not to serve Satan. We can't serve two masters. Fourthly, turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, please. Some of you all will know that Romans chapter 6 is one of my favorite chapters of the Bible. After 4, 3, 4. He says this, knowing that our old man is what? Crucified with Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed. That from here on, we shall not serve sin. One of the things that we ought not to serve is other gods. We ought not to serve Satan. We ought not to serve two masters. We ought not to serve money. And we ought not to serve sin. Sin is a master. And should I add, he's a grand master? Because it has come into our lives in such a way, very subtly, and we have come now to understand or to accept that it is now part of who we are. That in our lives, we are sin and sin is we. That there is no separation between a man and his sin. That as long as we are in the flesh, we bound to sin. How many of us have heard that? Let's read on before I get into my commentary. Is that okay? Verse 7 says, For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. And next week, of course, we celebrate the resurrection. And we're going to be having a wonderful time celebrating the resurrection. But one of the things we need to know that the resurrection of Christ was not just a historical account. It's a practical account for each one of us that because he died and he raised, we too can now live in the newness of life. Amen? So it has to be something that is more practical than theoretical in our lives. So it's, yes, it's a historical event, something that did indeed take place, but there's a reason for it taking place. And this is the reason. Likewise, reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore what? Reign in your mortal body that ye should what? Obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have. Sin shall what? Sin shall what? Not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are, under the, we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Knowing not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants ye are whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But thanks, but God be thanked. That ye, are, ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. If you say that you have no sin, you are a liar. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
The bad thing about that reality is that the wages of sin is death. And the death that we speak of is eternal damnation. That's spending eternity away from God. But what God has done is he has presented a way of escape so that we no longer have to face the consequences of our sin, but we can come to a place of repentance. And now when we come to that place of repentance, in submission to Christ, in submission to the word of God, we can now move from being under the dominion of sin unto being under the dominion of Almighty God. This is why he says, sin shall no longer have dominion over you. Our religious schools have taught us that we must continue in sin. And once we are in this world, you will continue to sin. You're bound to sin because you are in the flesh. And what I've learned from reading the word of God, brothers and sisters, is that we, although we are in the flesh, we don't have to live under the bondage to sin. Why is it that Christ came? He came to destroy the works of the enemy. And that bondage that we were once under, we can now break free from it. But we have to believe in our heart that we have the ability to, not in our own selves, but through Christ Jesus. So sin must not have dominion over us. How does sin get dominion over us? It says it here. Look what he says. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies that you should what? Obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourself unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. The whole aspect of breaking free from the dominion of sin, breaking free from being servants of sin, has to do with one word, obedience. We must be willing to obey God at his word. And if you understand what the word of God says, we must be willing to follow after that. Jesus said it this way, Luke chapter 6 verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I see? You see, many of us lie to God. We say, Lord, Lord, he's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's a lie because he's not your Lord. He's not your supreme authority. That's what Lord is. Lord is your supreme authority. When you say Lord, you're saying that he is my supreme authority. He is in control of my life. And what we have been doing over the years, brothers and sisters, is that we have been saying it, but we have not been living it. So we have not come in submission to God. So it's good to say, yes, he is my Lord. When you look at the Grammys and you see all these fellas walking up and they're getting their, their big awards and they're getting their big thing and they come and say, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for his grace and whatever. And he just get a Grammy Awards for some cuss song. This song have a whole set of profanity. It have a whole set of cuss. It have a whole set of things. If you see the, the video, a whole set of nakedness and everything like that. But I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You ever see that? But what we have to do, brothers and sisters, is decide I want to serve God. When you come to a decision that I want to serve God, you are saying to the Lord, I really want to obey you. I want to obey your word. That which you have said, I want to do it. You see, what has somehow or the other slipped out of our religious life, that has slipped out of our churches, 
is the fear of God. Somehow or the other, it, it has just disappeared out of our consciousness. That we don't longer have the fear of God. We, everything goes. Anything goes now. We can do anything in church. We can live anyhow in church. We can do... It, it's just... The fear of God is no longer there. And the only thing that I can understand, I can really comprehend why the fear of God has been missing is because people don't truly believe who God is. Because if we really believe who God is, we wouldn't, thank you, sister, we wouldn't disobey. If we truly believe who God is, and deep down within our heart, we understand that God is present, my God, it changes who we are. It changes who we are. The realness of the presence of God, brothers and sisters, makes a difference in our lives. Tell your neighbor, don't serve sin. And it's very easy to serve sin. All we need to do is live. <laughs> That's all. There's no effort. Have you recognized there's no effort to do wrong? Doing wrong comes naturally. It just comes naturally. There's no effort to do wrong. If you get up in the morning and you just, just go about your day without praying, without, you just will find yourself doing something that is wrong. Somebody will come, the first thing somebody will tell you is something and you'll want to cuss them up and down. Somebody tell me the other day they cuss and they, people laugh at them because they couldn't even cuss good. You get angry, and then you use scripture. You know, the word declares, be angry and sin not. So you get upset with everybody who's around you. You want to mash up the place. You want to, then when carnival come along, well, you're in your element. You're walking down the road, fellas, walking down the road, and everywhere they walk, oh, gosh, Lord, help me. Is it Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look at a handmaiden and lust. Some people don't know that covenant. They drew, you know, like those bulldogs. They're watching it. <laughs> Everything pass. Somebody leave a mop in the corner and, and, and a little um, bag thing they thought was a dress. <laughs> Everything with a scared pass, they gone clear. That's how life is. Not so? It's easy to do what is wrong. So this is why we have to make an extra effort to submit to God and be willing to obey his every word. If it is that we take it for granted and feel that we can just go about live life real good on remote control, guess what? You're not going to happen. It's by the grace of God that we are able to do it and we are able to be sustained. But we must make the choice. Tell your neighbor, we must make the choice. When you get up in the morning, you must make the choice. I am going to walk upright today. When you get up in the morning, you make the choice to pray. There are some times when your body feels so tired, I don't want to pray. All of us go through that from time to time where you feel tired and you're still on. I, I don't know. I, I like to be real. Can I be real? You need long to pray and somehow or the other, somebody come and find you to sleep. Rock my baby on the treetop. When the 
and somehow the other, the sweetest short sleep you could get is when you're praying. You feel like every real sweet prayer, sleep. You kneel down and you're praying. You fall asleep and you didn't even know. It's just two minutes, you know, but you feel like if it's an hour. Oh gosh. Nobody ever liked that. Yeah? You're all always up and bright when you pray, eh? Reverend She's a prayer warrior, you know. So she, she's saying, what is man talking about here, boy? <laughs> you understand? But what we realize, brothers and sisters, is that we have to make the extra effort. When you start to read the Bible, somehow or the other, as soon as you open the Bible, we started a journey to read through the Bible this year, people drop out on the lay. You all know we have 1 Samuel chapter 22, they're about today. Some people don't pass up. We finished Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> you understand? Some people don't know where we, where we reach. And we look to right. That's all. So when you start to read the Bible, it becomes, you know, and the reason for that, you can sit down and watch TV all night. And as soon as you start to pray, that is when you try to sleep. You sit down and read in them, them, those mills and booms and those thing books and whatever. And all day you sit down and who goes? And real excited. And as soon as you open the Bible, as soon as you crack, well, first thing when you crack the Bible, you hear, because you open the Bible in such a long time. You hear the screeching of the hinge and the paper sticking up, you know. You know when you have the new Bible and the thing, so you hear. So when, and as soon as you start, as soon as you start to read, you start to bep on yourself. I tell people that the best thing to cure insomnia is prayer and Bible reading. <laughs> That's like drought, you know, like for me, the best thing, if this, this country could be in drought for a whole year, and as soon as I wash my car, rainfall. <laughs> yeah, something just happened. <laughs> yeah. So we have to be very careful. Who are you serving? Who are you serving? Will you serve sin? And we ought not to serve sin. Let's make that decision. It's a choice that you make. Let me tell you something. You don't have to sin. It is not a bound to have to, got to. You don't have to. We choose to every day of our lives. Some people say, well, you sin every day. Yes, we sin every day because we choose to every day. You choose. It's a choice we make. So what he's saying is don't serve sin. We ought not to be servants of sin. We've got to serve God. And the evidence of our serving God is righteousness. Say righteousness. He said, he that does righteousness is righteous. So we have to be able to do righteously. Amen? And finally for today, we ought not to serve ourselves. Wow. So we ought not to serve other gods. We are not to serve Satan. We are not to serve mammon. We ought not to serve sin. And we ought not to serve ourselves. 
One of the biggest cancers of our society is selfishness, self-centeredness. It mashes up marriages. It destroys families. Self-centeredness. When an individual is self-centered, selfish, just desiring to serve self alone, it destroys things that are important to us. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. I want to take it from two different angles. Romans chapter 16, verse 17. <clears throat> now, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause what? Divisions and offenses, contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. And do what? Avoid them. And he says, why? For they are such, for they that are such, serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. So what he's saying is this, that you have to mark them. Do what? Mark them. Take note of those who may be in our midst <laughs> that cause divisions and offenses. Now, he says that cause division, and division is that which causes upset within the church, and cause offenses. And here the word offenses talks about traps, snares, stumbling blocks that cause others to walk in error. So that there are people who are going to be set within the church to cause people to walk in error. They are going to set stumbling blocks in your way to cause you not to follow after the teachings of God. He says, mark them. Take careful note. And what did he say concerning them? Be wonderful friends, and that's my brother, that's my sister, so take me by the hand. No, no. He said, avoid them. <laughs> he said, avoid them. You've got to see them and avoid them. It doesn't mean that you hate them. It doesn't mean that you scorn them. But you see, when we had to sit down and talk, we're not going to sit down and talk with them. Hi, brother. Lovely to see you. Wonderful. Nice smile. Don't be hypocritical about it. You love them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, but I love you from a distance. <laughs> you know you can do that with people, right? Because there are people who's going to come in and they're going to erode your faith. And that's the effort. And the only purpose is so that they can be satisfied in them own selves, their own selves. He says they do not serve the Lord. They serve their own belly. It's about self-satisfaction. It's about what I can get. It's about what I can receive. It's about me, myself, and I. Avoid them. Don't give prominence to them. Avoid them. That's what we got to do. You say, but pastor, this is a church of love. I say, yes, we love you and we love everyone, but we got to avoid those who cause division because that division is going to be a peg in the love that we want to instill. One of the problems in our society is a misunderstanding of the balance between love and acceptance. I can love you without accepting what you do. You understand what I'm saying? We got to love people, but there are those who cause division. 
those who cause chaos, those who cause others to stumble, we ought not to facilitate. Because if we facilitate that, we become responsible. So he says here, mark them that cause divisions. One of the things that we've got to ensure that we don't do is be one who serve ourselves. Don't do things just for our own selfish gain and our own selfish perspective. There are some times where we think we are doing right and it's wrong. Turn with me to 1 Samuel, right? The book of 1 Samuel. You all know that we are in the book of 1 Samuel, right? So which means you should have read this passage this week. 1 Samuel chapter 15. An interesting story here. Let's take it up from verse 3. And we're going to look at some spots in between it, right? So that we can get the, the messages to what is um, being said. And again, you, uh, another chapter that you can take note, that you can read in your um, own time in its fullness. Read this story in its fullness. Read this and First Samuel chapter 13. Very interesting. Two very interesting stories about King Saul. Amen? From verse 3 to 9. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not. But slay both man and woman, and infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Yes, I said it in church. <laughs> and Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telamine, about 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. So about 210,000 men. That was the size of his army. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For he showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur, that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag. He took whom? Who was Agag? The king of the Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and his people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatling and of the lambs and all that was good and would utterly destroy them. And would what? Not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refused that they destroyed utterly. What was the instruction that Samuel gave Saul? To destroy what? Did Saul destroy everything? He destroyed everything except the king and except the sheep, the good sheep and the sheep, the good oxen. He destroyed everything. Not so? So wait. Didn't he destroy? Didn't he kill all them bad things? Didn't he? God said what? Oh. So is it that we are learning today that partial obedience is disobedience? <laughs> so partial obedience is disobedience. So God said destroy everything and he gone and saved the best that was there. He saved the king. He saved sheep. He saved cattle. He saved oxen. That was the best. And those things wasn't, that wasn't good, he killed them, man. He destroyed them. Do you know why he kept the sheep and the oxen, the best sheep and the oxen? Do you know why? Do you know why? Yeah. When you look at it, Saul 
kept these best things to make a sacrifice unto the Lord. Isn't that a good man? Come on, help me. That's not a good man? You see, only looking at it from a historical standpoint, I always tell people that history, because we are in this part, it's 2020 vision when you're on the other side of history, you know. But if you were in the same position, and you see these nice fat sheep, and you see these nice fat oxen, and the word of God said to destroy all, and you see this could make a real nice sacrifice, God's going to be real pleased with me because this, this is a real nice sacrifice. So even though my intention is to make a sacrifice for the Lord, that don't count? I wonder if you're understanding what I'm saying. When God gives instructions, we have to follow through. Too many of us just want to use God to, make, to, to facilitate our disobedience. We are saying things that we're going to do this for God, and we know it is no for God. It's for us, our own selfish desire. We're serving our own self. This is your mentality. You want to do this, you do it. And no matter what people say, you don't turn away from it. When God gives instructions, we've got to follow the instructions of the Lord wholeheartedly and fully. This thing about halfway obeying God is not what God is looking at. Look at, let's read. Let's go on to this. Let's see the prophet Samuel's response. <laughs> I like what prophet Samuel said. Verse 13. And Samuel came to Saul. And Saul jumped up. He says, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. He's so presumptuous. So Samuel's response is now, What meaneth this bleating of the sheep in my ear and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? So he's saying, so Samuel, so Saul come and say, as soon as he sees Samuel, he said, prophet, man of God, I have done the commandment of God. So pride rise up in his heart. So the prophet say now, you have done the command. So why am I hearing this bleating of sheep? Why am I hearing the lowing of of, of cattle? Why am I hearing this in my ear? It's, It's buzzing, it's disturbing. Why would it be disturbing? Because you received instructions from the Lord to destroy everything. Not a hoof was to be spared. Verse 15, And Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God. Unto the Lord who? Who thy God. So Saul now saying, We spare this to sacrifice to your God. The Lord, not my God, the Lord, your God. I wonder if you get what I'm saying. So he turned the table now and said, hear this. You see, this what we're doing here now is for your God. That is what we call mama guy. That is a classic theological example of mama guy. So you did something wrong and now you're throwing it back on pastor, pastor Samuel. This is for your God, pastor. So you go on and you play the lotto and you win your $50 million and you say, Pastor, this is for your God. Are you here, yeah? Hmm. Then Samuel said unto Saul, Stay, and I will tell thee what the Lord hath said to me this night. And he said unto him, Say on. Saul still clueless. And Samuel said, When thou was, a li- was little in thine own sight. When thou was what? When you was humble. That's what he's saying. 
When you was humble, right? Was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord appointed thee king over Israel. And the Lord sent thee on a journey and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them till they be consumed. Wherefore then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord, and have gone the way which the Lord sent me, and have brought Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the chief of the things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice unto the Lord thy God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. He hath also rejected thee from being king. This is a strong word that was spoken, wasn't it? And the reason for that was because of disobedience. Saul did what was in his own heart to do. He served himself. He was selfish, he was prideful, and he did what he thought was right in his own eyes. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We have to be very conscious of the things that we do because the things that we do can cause us to fall out of the grace of God. When God says to do something, we got to do what he says to do. Let us don't get into a perspective of doing our own thing. Too many of us do our own thing. We have the Frank Sinatra mentality. I did it my way. My own way, my own thinking, my own perspective, my own life. That's not what God wants. He wants his way. And that's what we got to do, brothers and sisters. Get to a place of saying, Lord, I am going to obey your word. I will obey what you have said. And let's go all the way to obey what God has said. Don't serve our own selves. Don't serve our own bellies. Don't serve our own intents. Don't serve our own purpose. Let us find the purpose of God. Let us understand what God is calling us to do. And let us follow after that. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And don't do the things I say. As we choose to serve God, we must choose what not to serve. Don't serve other gods. Don't serve the devil. Don't serve mammon. Don't serve... Sin, don't serve sin, and don't serve yourself. When we choose to serve God, we must decide within our whole heart that we are serving God in sincerity and in truth. The word of God declares it. We have to choose it. Let us make our choice to serve God. It is a personal choice. Can we stand before the presence of the Lord this morning? We want to recommit ourselves to truly Follow after God in spirit and in truth. But let's lift our hands in surrender. As we say to you, Lord, Lord, I surrender unto you. I shall obey your word. Come on, let's make that declaration. I shall obey your word. I shall obey your truth. 
I shall serve you. I reject every other God. I reject my own way. I reject and renounce the hidden things of dishonesty that has been a part of my life. I reject and I renounce every form of necromancy that I would have participated in in my life. I reject and I renounce everything that is not of you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Today, Lord, I surrender. I surrender unto you. And I say, Lord, you have your way in me. I come before you, Lord. And I say, Lord, have your way. I choose to serve you. I choose to serve you. And I declare, I shall have no other God besides you. You alone are God. You alone are God. And I shall serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.